Our trust is being lost, honestly. Have you ever heard the term trust is earned in drops and lost in buckets? Well, as a parent, my trust for the school systems are being lost. That's the voice of Rhonda Williams, a courageous mom who joined her voice with 200 others speaking up for respect for parents, especially when it comes to how transgender issues are handled at school. Virginia Beach parents recently filed a lawsuit on this issue against their school board and won a key victory. Will other schools pay attention? We'll update you on this and more. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, with our president, Victoria Cobb. Well, welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us again for Speak Up Virginia. You know, Victoria, things have just been so heavy lately. I thought maybe it was time to have a little bit of lighthearted chat, chit chat on something else. So um, I wanted to just talk about what I've been noticing in my neighborhood, and that's that we have all the extravagant Halloween decorations coming out. Now, I will say, I just, I don't understand some of them. Some of them, you know, are cute and fallish and funny, but, you know, one of our neighbors has these huge zombie babies, and I don't know what's up with the zombie babies, <laughs> but I just don't see the necessity for the zombie babies or why that is a fun thing to do. Um, then what's up with these huge skeletons? I mean, they've got to be 10 or 20 feet. Everyone's putting them out. I just don't understand how Halloween decorating has become like Christmas decorating. It never used to be to this degree. Like yeah. it's become a whole industry. I'm sure they're making tons of money with all these decorations. But I, I have to tell you, I'm kind of a Halloween Scrooge. If there was like a Scrooge for the Halloween season, if that was a thing, I just am not into it. I find them all kind of ugly and tacky. I love fall. Yeah. I have my pumpkins. But all this stuff, I just, I hate it all, to be honest with yeah. you. And maybe that's terrible. And I do, you know, like I, I'm, I get haters or whatever, but I just... I don't know. Well, it's all dark and it's like, I don't, I'm not even a black cat fan. Like, I yeah. don't know. I just, <laughs> now I'm really going to get um, Why not? Black cats are so cute. I don't well, know. They cross, you know, that whole, <laughs> I don't know. I've got a neighbor with five black cat shadows and I actually freaked out a little bit. There's animals in his yard. Oh, but they're <laughs> like fake. They're fake. Yeah. But seriously, Jesse, do you know what? I don't like what spiders. Is, but what, what's the deal with the gigantic skeletons? And then they leave those skeletons up year round. Like they'll have a, um, you know, 20 foot gigantic skeleton. Okay, I have not seen that in my neighborhood. It's like a thing in my neighborhood. Oh, good. Okay, I'm so hoping it doesn't come to mind. I don't know what the deal is with that, but I live in Hanover County. And on the way to get to the highway, on my way to work, there is a giant 20 foot skeleton. Yes. That is there, there all go. year round. Does it hang from a tree up. or it's a blow up? It's I like think I tied to a light pole or something. It's huge. I, I have skeletons I that are eating is. at a picnic it's table like in my dining size. room, but they're not that big. It's oh. like prehistoric dinosaur size, except it's a human skeleton. Which but humans anyway. have never been that big. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm just not into it. All I'm right. not into any of it. Well, I did see some interesting stories on Halloween decorations gone awry. <laughs> I thought that would be fun to look at. One from this year is there's a family in New York that decided to replicate that their house was burning. They have flames in the windows. And apparently this freaked people out. People started calling 911 because it was just a little bit too realistic. 
Uh, I can't even imagine doing something like that, first of all, to make your house look like it's on fire. And I guess it was through the windows. And yeah. so you can't really, I mean, I can see how, I mean, looking at it, I could see how it would be confusing. It, it actually, for the first few, few seconds, we're going to put a little okay. clip of it on there, but it, it looks pretty realistic. I feel bad for the fire company. Like, yeah, that's, that's terrible. The ones we feel, should feel sorry for. But there's another one that I remembered from Texas a few years back, and I found it because <laughs> I remember this happening. Where they tried to replicate the scene from one of the Christmas vacation movies where the guy's he's putting Chevy Chevy Chase is putting the lights on and he falls and he's hanging on the gutter. Yeah. Um so they have a guy dressed just like him hanging from the gutter and a ladder that looks like it's fallen. Well, this this passerby just freaked out about that. So we're just gonna play a little clip of that. The Heerlein family of Austin, Texas, put up a display that's a true slice of Americana. They used a dummy on the edge of the roof and a ladder meant to look like it's tipping over. Just like this scene from the movie National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, as Clark Griswold attempts to hang Christmas lights. But Alfred Norwood Jr., a veteran who just happened to be passing by, thought it was a real person in distress. His panic captured on the family's front porch camera. He tried to move the ladder to help the man, not knowing it was a mannequin. Can you reach it? Waving people down in traffic help! while on the phone with 911. So I turned around and started calling for help, and nobody wanted to stop. We took it to a whole nother level. You're welcome uh, over for hot cocoa any day. <laughs> okay, you have to feel bad for this guy that, yeah. like, sees it and thinks there's an emergency and he's trying to solve it. And I, I mean, why? I don't know why our decorations have to get to this level. I, I just put up a few well, lights. I mean, this is obviously Christmas. We were talking about Halloween earlier, you know, Halloween decorations. But, like, I don't get it. They said they were trying to win the neighborhood okay, Halloween all right. decorating all right, contest. That's fair. I forgot about that. It was a contest involved. I am, <laughs> yeah. I am competitive. So maybe there needs to be a contest to get me a little more motivated on my decorating. Yeah. But can we try to avoid the things that, like, draw in the, the fire company or cause someone to yeah. go running for help? Yeah. And like, I, like you were saying... Um, why can't we just keep Christmas as the predominant decorating season? I don't know. I I hate to get to a serious note, but it kind of <laughs> seems like says something about our culture when Halloween is. It I think Halloween me. might there might be more decorations in our neighborhood. I honestly am thinking it's starting to outwit yeah. Christmas decorations, which is a shame. And Richmond has you know been known as a city with the tacky lights tour and all the oh, stuff and like. Please, it's, I'm sorry. I know that's sensitive issue. Lights. That's Candy's neighborhood. No, I'm just one is one. You know, there's so many neighborhoods that have too many uh, tacky lights two times a year. <laughs> Maybe we could do a, a Halloween contest in your neighborhood, so it can just please. get even. Crazier. No. My neighborhood's reasonably tame on both fronts, yeah. but I don't understand the Halloween thing. I just don't get into it. Victoria, maybe you should decorate for the other holiday on October 31st, which is Reformation oh, Day. Yes. Reformation yes. What would Day. I? I've, I've actually we had an intern one time that brought in a Reformation Day cake, but I'm not sure what else goes with that kind of um, 95 theses. Go nail them to a yeah, door. Yeah, because everyone's gonna just know what that <laughs> is. I will say I'm not I try not to be a, a, a Scrooge to my family so they enjoy the dressing up yeah. part of it and we don't allow any dark costumes so there's no ghosts and goblins yeah. and we don't allow any of that stuff but I try to like go along with it although I still sit there and go we're spending money on what yeah of course yeah. we do too we do too I don't want to be a Scrooge to the rest of the neighborhood I just yeah. happen to not really enjoy We're it. using a Christmas term for Halloween I, I know to... because I don't know what it is what would be an anti-Halloween person 
actually they'd be a person uh. of light and happiness. <laughs> That's my take. Okay, All we right. should move on because we should. <laughs> this is going downhill. <laughs> All right. Well, getting into more serious topics, I did want to update people on some good news, and that is these courageous parents out there on the front lines in this battle to restore their parental rights when it comes to how transgender issues are being navigated in their schools. We have got these bold parents stepping up, speaking up, and it's it's really refreshing to see. Now, I just want to start out today with a clip that will encourage you, this very brave mom, Rhonda Williams, speaking at a a press conference, a Protect Every Kid rally that we did in Newport News. Our trust is being lost, honestly. Have you ever heard the term trust is earned in drops and lost in buckets? Well, as a parent, my trust for the school systems are being lost in buckets, unfortunately. We trust you to listen to our voices. We trust you to uh, listen and hear our concerns regarding our children and respond accordingly. We trust you to keep the door of communications open, honest communication. And we don't send our children to school one way for them to identify another way once they're there. We trust you to keep us involved and keep us as the authority in our children's lives. And I do recall as has been said before, we as the church and the community, we've been in the same exact position before. A couple years ago, where Northern administration put in policies that we didn't agree with as parents and the community. But it was said that it was law and it had to be adopted. We trusted you and believed that you had made the right decision when you decided to reject these policies. But soon we were let down when you were pressured to accept these bad policies. So I have a question. Is the new policy not law? Is it, does it not have to be adopted? All right, well, Rhonda was one of 200 parents and concerned citizens that came out for this rally in Newport News. But before we talk about that rally itself, Victoria, I just wanted you to respond to the question that Rhonda was asking, because she says, you know, why are school boards ignoring these parents? They're either flat out rejecting the Yunkin revisions that restore parental rights to these issues, or they seem to be slow walking it. Um, just continuously putting off a vote. Why is this happening? As And as Rhonda asked, do they have to comply? Yeah, so I think we should start with the sort of overarching policy issue, which is both the governor has passed these policies, right, and said that you need to comply. And the attorney general, Jason Mearis, has come in behind him and given legal documentation saying that school boards need to come in alignment. Because again, these guidelines, unlike the past ones, are consistent with our code saying that parents have the right to direct the outcome of their kid, right? So they've now passed guidelines that line up with our law and they're saying, look, yes, your, your policy should change. And I think they've made it clear that schools cannot purposely deceive parents, hide information from parents. So, um, It is frustrating, and these parents are just saying, like, if you've got the folks at the top saying this, and we're the parents of the school system telling you to get in line, why is it so hard? I would say this. I do think that there has been such an aggressive response in the past by LGBT organizations that you have to cater to what they want, Mm -hmm. that I think school boards still have some lingering fear around 
passing a policy that actually protects every kid, not yeah. just this um, small group of folks. And so what's crazy is I think all they need to do is look at, first of all, what happened in Loudoun County and realize it's a dangerous policy. But second of all, look at the lawsuit that happened in Virginia Beach. So I think we should talk a yeah. little bit about that, because that should be enough to get a school yeah. board to say, I don't want to I don't want to go through a lawsuit. Yeah, and my understanding is what the attorney general has said is the schools can't be in open conflict right. with the Yunkin revisions. Right. Uh, that's where kind of the the rubber hits the road, where they need to comply. And so the way that that is going to be enforced is with parents taking a stand and pointing those conflicts out. And that's what happened in Virginia Beach. And so this is huge news if you haven't heard about it yet or you didn't get our email alert um, because these two moms actually scored a pretty big victory for all parents in the Commonwealth. And so there were two moms that filed a lawsuit against their school board in Virginia Beach because at that time they were refusing to comply with the Yankin policies. And uh, let me just give you some details about the information because I looked at that lawsuit and it was interesting what the moms were saying yeah. was happening. So. One of the moms had elementary age daughters that had attended a summer school camp where they were subjected to these conversations from camp leaders, leaders, you know, or um, in charge of the student groups and things like that. And the little girls were hearing conversations from these leaders about gender identity and transgender pronouns. I think there was a binary leader maybe at the camp that was, you know, and, and so the, the leaders were kind of instigating conversations around that. And so then the girls come home and ask their parents about what all this means. And again, this is elementary age. The parents are having this introduced, uh, you know, outside of their scope without notice. And then, but it doesn't stop there. The, the girls go to ele their school, elementary school, and they're getting all this pressure from their friends to comply with this whole transgender pronoun agenda that's happening here. And these, again, these are elementary school kids coming under this pressure to change the way they think, the way they're speaking. Okay, the mom, the other mom in the lawsuit had a middle school age son, and he was told that he could be suspended for not complying with the transgender pronoun policy. Again, that, that's pretty young to um, having be having compelled speech forced on you from the powers that be. Um, so this family expressed how they wanted their son to be able to stay in the middle school because he has friends there, but there was so much pressure coming at these families, marginalizing them, uh, making them feel stigmatized for their beliefs, that they were feeling like they might have to put him in a different environment. And so that's why I think they filed the lawsuit. And it just shows you the overall environment. I don't think we understand what it's like day to day. For, for those of us not experiencing this, the environment, for these families of faith, families that just want to teach their kids a sexual ethic at home, what that's like for their kids to be day in and day out in an environment that pressures them the complete opposite way. Well, it's and remember, all of these policies came into place because we were told, school boards were told, government officials were told that these children who struggle with their gender are being stigmatized. That was what they used to get the original kind of policies that were kind of sneaking into different districts and then ultimately to get the law that ended up with the, the original bad guidelines. It was these kids are being stigmatized. Well, now we have kids on the other side being stigmatized. And when is when are the adults going to step up and care about these kids that are being compelled to speak, com confused about what they're seeing and dealing with and having to handle it at an elementary school age? So no wonder they thought their parental rights are being trampled. These parents are saying, look, we can't handle this within our home. You're making us 
have to kind of protect our kids and we can't even do that in the school system. And I, I mean, it's it's why the conclusion of their lawsuit, if you read their lawsuit, yeah. the conclusion was that the school district's refusal to comply with the Yunkin parental rights provisions was actually aggravating the climate, was making it worse um, and even jeopardizing both their parental authority and the mm-hmm. students' own constitutional freedoms, right? That compelled yeah. speech component. Um, but I would say this, the good news is- It's really good news. It's really good news. So after this lawsuit was filed, a few days later, the school board finally adopted the right kinds of policy, a strong policy that puts most of the key Yunkin provisions in place. It's amazing yeah. how after all this delay, all of a sudden action happened really It's quickly. funny how that happens when you <laughs> yeah. get a, a lawsuit threatening yeah. you. But these parents really did a favor to all the other parents around the Commonwealth because now this victory, we've had a school board respond, and now the question is, will school boards follow suit? Um, I'm just going to kind of back up here and remind listeners what these revisions are, what's really at stake here. So I'm sure you've heard us talk about this a lot. You will recall that under former Governor Northam, there were these policies pushed through under his administration, forced on all school districts across the Commonwealth, that included language. It, it had high pressure on school districts to comply with language, basically cutting parents out of the process. There was actual language in these policies that instructed educators how to hide things from parents or even deceive parents if their children were, were experimenting with gender identity at school. So that is a significant issue to being able to be involved in your in your children's life. A bad precedent set for parents being able to um, exercise their constitutional responsibility to guide their children in these life matters. But then, of course, parents reacted against that in a big way all across the state, and Yunkin was swept into office on this Parents Matter campaign. And so now his education department has responded to that message from parents. They have cleaned up these bad policies, revised them. So now that language instructing educators on how to hide things from parents has been taken completely out. Yeah, and I think we can't forget that his, his, another key provision of these guidelines was also that it made it clear that a school cannot constitutionally compel either the employees, which are the, you know, the teachers mm-hmm. and everybody else, or the students to have to speak words that violate their own beliefs on something. And we saw that, of course, if you remember the Tanner Cross case where you had a teacher and he didn't feel comfortable having to tell a kid. You know, that was that compelled speech issue. So we also have had some other good things in that direction besides these guidelines. So these schools still trying to do that in any way, shape, or form are just out of line. All right. The big question here, Victoria, is will the other school boards take this cue and follow suit? Oh, that is the question. And we are certainly doing everything we can with these parents, helping them have a voice to try to encourage the school boards to do the right thing. I think the Virginia Beach situation is a great sort of guidepost of how you should handle it. It's, you know, maybe don't wait for the lawsuit next time. Um, But, you know, we have on record at least five school districts that have flatly rejected the Yunkin provisions. They're mainly in the Northern Virginia Mm -hmm. area saying like, no, we're going to keep this deception. We're going to keep these, you know, whoever uses whatever bathroom and all that. Um, Now, but we, and and, and also I shouldn't say it's just Nova because Amherst, um, you know, we don't think of. And I think Richmond too. Yeah, we don't think of um, like Amherst, which is more rural as an area that's going to be so aggressively involved. That one was surprising. Yeah. So anyway, so it's not, don't assume, I would say everybody needs to know their own county. Don't assume just because you're in a rural area that your school district isn't isn't trying to reject these. But we also do have some good examples. So we have Roanoke County and we have Spotsylvania and now Virginia Beach that are all moving forward and adopting the new guidelines. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag. And that's why I think parents need to know and need to be part of the 
pressuring their school board yeah. to do the right thing. We got news on a couple more that may have adopted. We're checking into that. Yeah, at, at Isle of Wright was one that might be yeah, heading we're, in the we're right direction. Into that, that sounds yeah. like a possibility. Um, the situation is, though, that you still have a slew of school districts across the Commonwealth that have done nothing, that are just apparently taking this wait-and-see approach. Um, and we're hearing from parents, like the ones in Newport News that had this rally, that are losing patience with the inaction. You know, they're they're just going to their school board meetings, hearing these endless discussions, and nothing happens to respond to their concerns. And like I said, that was especially frustrating to these parents in the Tidewater Newport News region because there's schools there that are either slow walking um, or like Suffolk that seem to be resisting. Um, there, some of their school officials have made statements opposing these policies. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't want to specifically pick on those, but a lot of these were pretty quick to pass the original Northam yeah. guidelines. It, like, it didn't take a lot of time for some school boards to immediately put bad guidelines in place, but it's taking an awful long time for them to move forward with good guidelines. Not, I'm, you know, I'm not picking on a specific district, but it's just there's a challenge there, and parents are obviously aware of that and, and yeah. wondering about that. So it was so powerful to see these passionate parents show up at our Speak Up Newport News uh, rally and part of our Tidewater Speak Up team to come out, put their voices together on this rally. And I think we should just play a little clip from the local television, the news station that covered it. Duncan's proposed policies impacting LGBTQ students are in the spotlight again. Virginia Beach Schools adopted a modified version last week. The Suffolk School Board delayed its vote last week, citing a need for more discussion. Well, tonight a rally hosted by a parental rights group advocating school districts to fully adopt the policies. News 3's Jay Green joins us in the studio. And Jay, you attended that rally tonight, but you're also hearing from other voices as well. Kurt, the Family Foundation of Virginia held the rally outside of Newport News Church tonight, saying these policies protect parents' power to be involved. But like you said, I also spoke with LGBTQ advocates. They say these policies have the potential to be harmful. A crowd of parents and educators gathers outside the World Outreach Worship Center in Newport News, the rally hosted by the Family Foundation of Virginia. Among the speakers, parents and rally organizers urging school districts that haven't acted to adopt Governor Youngkin's model policies. Make it clear that parents must be notified and given, any, given an opportunity to object before counseling regarding gender is giving to our children. Bottom line, it's time to stop leaving parents in the dark when sexual and gender identity experimentation are promoted by school officials to their kids at school. One Newport News school board member also spoke at Monday's rally. Parents are essential to the success of our children, to the success of public education, that without parents uh, engaging uh, and parents doing what they do, then we simply cannot have a successful school division. All right, Victoria, did you happen to notice in this news clip the huge LGBTQ banner that was kind of just mysteriously there throughout the reporting? I, I thought that was interesting. I really did think the news entity was very clear about where they stand by putting that rainbow up there. And also when they pitched the story from the anchor to the guy out in the field, it was like, but you're also hearing from other parents. Like there, yeah. there was nobody else there on the other side. But let me make sure that we are clear that this isn't the only side of this issue. And we know it's not the only side, but they just made it went out of their way. I, would I, just I say. wish they would go out of their way to seek our 
we don't see that when it's the other way around. If the yeah. other side had a rally, they wouldn't be like, oh, and there are these other voices. Let me go ask the parents. <laughs> Let's ask the Bailey Foundation. It doesn't happen that way. So we noticed those things. Um, but overall, it was great coverage of this this rally. And um, I think it's really important that we just encourage folks to keep speaking up like this and to have like 200 parents. Yeah. I think that was a pretty strong statement. Um, and they were, they were just challenging their school board members to move forward, to not... Um, you know, get stuck and not delay and not, yeah. I mean, they've really taken their time with this. Um, and well, so, let me just say, yeah. as you mentioned, the school boards were in a rush for the most part. To right. Pass, all right. This specifically came up. Parents talked about this at the rally, at the press conference, because in Newport News specifically, you know, their their school board, at first they rejected the Northam policies in response to parents. Right. Then they got pressure from the ACLU, LGBTQ, leftist media. And a media. congressman that, if you remember, Bobby uh, Scott was I very involved that. in the pressure from, from the top. Okay, within a matter of days. Days. We're talking like two days, I it, think. Magically, they could put in <laughs> they the bad guidelines. Back exactly. To the Northam. So now the parents, like Rhonda, are showing up. We've been showing up for weeks, even months at this point. What, you don't seem to be in as much a rush to yeah. do something about and, it. Yeah, and I mean, this is not in Tidewater area, but like where there are counties, not just cities, those guys have elections and they're stalling. There are counties that are stalling this conversation until after the election. And voters kind of want to know, where's my school board on this? If the yeah. school board happens to be one of the ones that are up for election, we, you know, there, there's a lot of areas that people are yeah. going, is this political? Why we're stalling? Now, that might not be true of the cities in mm-hmm. Tidewater, but. Definitely. That's reasonable. That's I reasonable. Definitely have a couple examples right off the top of my head where I know that is happening. Yeah. So and right here in the Richmond area, too. All so. that to say, we're proud of these parents, and I think they did an outstanding job. Yeah. Rhonda's message to the school board was, quote, demonstrate courage and protect kids by protecting their parents' rights to be involved. And that, that pretty much sums it up. Yep. Well, I wish we had time to play more clips from the parents at the press conference, but there was one that I wanted to highlight because I feel like this local attorney there in Newport News had a really important point, and nobody in the media covers it or talks about it, but it's one that I would like for us to address. Let's just play this comment from Veronica Williams, like I said, a well-respected attorney, business owner there in Newport News, and then I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Specifically, under Virginia law, a licensed mental health care professional is at risk of losing his or her license to perform counseling and therefore their livelihood for unprofessional conduct if he or she counsels a child with gender dysphoria to even consider embracing his or her gender of birth. This means that when a child is referred to counseling, whether inside of the school system or outside of the school system, the child is not being referred to a licensed professional who is free to exercise independent professional judgment. To the contrary, the child is being referred to a professional who is operating under the risk and threat of losing his or her license and livelihood if he or she even suggests that the child consider embracing his or her gender of birth. What we don't want to see is a precious and extremely impressionable child who currently self-identifies as transgender make a decision that they will later regret to have irreversible gender transition surgery while still a minor and without the parent being notified and giving consent to this counseling as a result of the pressures that are being brought to bear 
on the young minds and hearts from different directions and from adults in positions of authority who from a practical perspective have had their hands tied by statute. Victoria, talk to us about what she's saying, the fact that there is this Virginia law that ties the hands of counselors interacting with kids, as she was explaining, and really the impact of that on children's well-being in the schools. Yeah, you know, it's um, very powerful for her to help people understand how laws fit together, how we have bad school policies that confuse children, but behind it, we also have a law that bans talk therapy, right? So just having a conversation with a child from a counselor to a kid, if they are confused around their gender, the counselor is allowed to encourage them to change their mindset and pretend that they are a different gender. They're allowed to encourage them towards transgenderism, but they are not allowed to try to help their thinking realign with their biological gender. And what, what this attorney is saying is we create confusion in the schools and then the kids can only go to a counselor that can only point them in one direction. How dangerous is that? I don't think we've given enough airtime to how yeah. bad this law is that kids can't get real help. They can't have a, an actual professional. Counselors, it's outcome-based counseling, meaning the child should be able to walk in and say, I'm struggling with confusion. And if they say, I don't want to be confused anymore, I'd like to realign my thinking with my gender, the counselor should be helping them do that. And that's illegal in Virginia. So just to be clear, if the kid comes in and says, I want help, I, I have these, these, this confusion, this agony inside of me, but I actually want to live according to my God-given gender. If that be, counselor helps them, they may lose their license. So the, so the counselors cannot help the kid if the kid comes in with that request? Is that what? That is right. That is right. That okay. is against the law. Somehow we have literally taken speech by a counselor and said, you can only go this direction. You can only help that someone this one way. There's no other area that we do that with counseling. There's no other single reason you would go into a counselor and say, I'm struggling with, I don't know, anorexia, whatever, depression, whatever. And you would say, I would love to really kind of get this under uh, squared away, get my thinking around this squared away. And the law would say, nope, can't help you. This is the only area we do that in. And these kids are left defenseless. They can't get the help they need. And she was connecting that dot to this is why we must have parents involved because yes. you're not putting them down a neutral path yes. so the parents absolutely have to be involved parents That's are uh, parents and i would say and i this is a call to the church youth pastors and those kind of folks who aren't professional counselors are the only ones that can actually help a child work through this because we've put this clamp down on actual professional licensed counselors yeah it's terrible well, to kind of wrap up um, the outcome of what happened with this rally, because there were some events afterward, for one thing, there was a very dramatic, I guess that's the best way to put it, Newport News School Board meeting the very next night. So all these people came out for the school board meeting. The room was full with people speaking on both sides of this issue. They even had to go to an overflow room. In addition to the parental rights supporters, like the ones you just saw speaking at that rally, uh, there were many LGBTQ activists, transgender individuals, teacher union representation, atheist groups, you name it. They it were all there. goes down yeah. in one school board meeting. <laughs> um, and there was, I will say, um, there was a lot of disturbing anger in the room on, on the left. I, I, do, I think it's fair to say that I, did not, I do not think that anger was coming from the Christian moms and dads speaking. But there was a lot of anger on the other side. There was, it, it's actually quite stunning how much anger there is. 
Um, there's also heartbreaking situations that people dealing with transgender issues are describing that we should pay attention to. But overall, this pattern began to emerge, if you're paying attention to what's being said, that those that were uh, opposing the Yunkin revisions, there seemed to be this pattern in the talking points that they were making aimed at marginalizing the moms and dads in the room um, that were supporting parental rights, aimed at painting them as these discriminatory people, number one, and number two, as religious extremists. Comment after comment was trying to paint this picture. Um, but I was so proud of the parents that were there. They just, they didn't let it phase them. They spoke up boldly. And I'm just going to show a clip here of an exchange that happened to just give you a little idea of what that school board meeting was like and the courage the parents had to show. That's not the real world that we live in. The world that we live in is a world where some of the people in this audience would probably beat their kids like somebody who spoke earlier if they came out and they said that they were transgendered or LGBTQIA or a member of that community. Um, I'd also like to rec just real quick say that the parent organization that's supporting the um, Protect the Kids Foundation looks a lot like a religious hate group. All of their whole website is dedicated to ensuring that they pass their religious policies. All right. Well, not only do you basically have this you beat your kids accusation in this one comment, but in one fell swoop, he also accused, I think he was trying to accuse the Family Foundation of being a religious hate group. Yeah, we've heard that before. Somehow that seems to make its way into lots of opposition. But but I mean, what it, the underlying thing there, then what he's truly saying is that the Yunkin model policies are somehow religious, which... Yeah. No, religious I mean, policies. we're not supporting anything. I mean, yes, yeah, some of us come at it from religious beliefs, but lots of people come at it from a very secular belief that just simply says, I care about my kid. It doesn't take religion to actually defend your child. Yeah, well, the reality is there are multiple religious Absolutely. groups um, of all spectrums supporting yeah. these parental rights. And even if you aren't religious, I, I think we've seen polling that the majority of Virginians are they are in agreement on where parents should be able to be involved that school sport uh, girls sports should not be threatened yeah there are things that absolutely transcend a faith-based perspective and i i would say parents being informed absolutely transcends all religions mm -hmm. people want to know what's going on with their kid in school regardless of where they come from from a faith perspective so it's it's kind of ridiculous for this guy to swoop everything into yeah into that I think people should understand when they go to these school board meetings that you do see this tactic of trying to raise this, really it's, it's trying to raise a scare tactic of this specter of religious extremists trying to invade your schools. And really it's just a way to take people's eye off the ball of what's really happening and that's the core issue of erosion of parental rights. So, you know, just don't get distracted by those tactics and keep your eye on the ball on what we're there for to strengthen parental rights. Well, over and over, we've seen that if you can lump something in as being religious, then it gets discarded, right? So right. that's a strategy. Like if we can it's claim something is religious, then the school board has to sweep it under the rug. They have to push it aside because how dare we ever, you know, move on something that religious people also happen to care about. All right. Well, I will just say... I did um, do a little research into who this person was that was basically accusing a lot of people of beating their kids and calling the Family Foundation um, a hate group. And interestingly, you know, he he came across as, as if he was just an average dad. That's all. But when you looked into it, he's actually, as of 2022, I found the blog as, as of 2022, 
He was listed as a leader in an atheist organization and also held an office in um, something called Secular Humanists, a secular humanist group. So he has a beef against religious entities, obviously. This is not, this is not average dad. This, yeah. Um, he also had done lobbying, I don't know, on something like 40 bills, including same-sex marriage and abortion rights. Yeah. You know, is how it was described. Um, so, like you said, this isn't your average dad. This just, is an activist. And it's he an should, activist. And he should just be honest about that. Well, if you're going to go after um, a, a pro-family group, yeah. then maybe you should acknowledge that you also are. <laughs> I mean, it's fair. He's a dad. If he's a dad, that's yeah. fine. But, yeah, it's it's obvious that, you know, people just need to know there's a little more behind that. Yeah. Well, all right, let's go to the, the good side of yeah. the, the um, encouraging side of this. And that is... The, the dad that got up next, the very next speaker, I love this guy. First of all, he's wearing this hoodie with a protect every kid, just dead center in the middle of his uh, Falcons sweatshirt, Atlanta Falcons. Yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so that was just cool. Um, but then he's just so authentic. He's, he's not there. He's not scripted. I, I don't even know who he is. Um, but I just love the passion that he had. I don't honestly have anything prepared. Um, I'm just here as a parent, as a father. Um, a loving parent and father. I believe as a parent and father who has nurtured my children to the point to where they could enter a Newport News public school deserves a voice in their lives. Opposite of what this gentleman just said, I don't beat my children. I wouldn't approve if they were LGBTQ. However, I would not beat them because of it. I am a parent that would, in fact, seek counseling. One of my children are already in counseling. Why is it that I, as a parent, a loving father, should have to suffer because of the potential of some other parents? Well, I love that he just at least countered this other guy. Like, no, I don't beat my kids. Like, because, I mean, that was such a, that is such a terrible thing to sort of put over the whole crowd. And so he kind of countered that and just said, look, that's ridiculous. Um, but he also said he's going to be there for his kid and, you know, and he's going to defend them, you know, and, and that um, his kids shouldn't have to suffer from these policies. And I think that's the part that doesn't get hurt enough is that, you know, these policies are blocking parents from just being able to be a part of their children's lives and discuss these issues as they deem appropriate. Yeah, it's like they're being punished yes. for, as he said, the potential of other parents failing on their job. Right. Like, he's being punished for that. Yes. Um, but he also made a really good point about how the Newport News School District is not going to be the one that's there when his kids have surgery, when they get married. You know, I thought that was well said. Yeah, I, I any school official that gets up there and makes it sound like they love their ki your kid more than you love your kid is it's we just know that's not true. And so there's this there's this idea like the school is the great protector and the parent is the great evil, and that is just not the case in 99% of the, the the families that are in yeah. the school system. And so we need to stop pretending and allowing that charade to to be sort of the narrative that happens in school board meetings. And I've often heard it said you shouldn't use the exception to, to create policy, policy right? Policy is yeah. intended to protect as many people as possible. Yes, occasionally you have to protect somebody that is in an oppressed situation. But I'm telling you, 99% of these parents are going to love on their kids. They're going to do the best by their kids as much as they possibly can, but unless the school blocks them from doing that. Right. Well said. All right. Well, despite all those people speaking up for hours at that school board meeting, 
uh, you know, we still didn't see any action. Right. Um, now, I have heard word that they're trying to work on it. They're trying to come up with a solution. So let's give them the benefit of the right. doubt. But parents need to keep the pressure up. Really. Absolutely. Well, we did have one final news update that we wanted to share with you that's kind of related to all that we've been talking about, and that's that we received word from our sister family policy council in South Carolina, the Palmetto Family Council, that Eventbrite unpublished, or, you know, another word for deplatforming, their event, uh, they, were, they were hosting this event that calls attention to the dangers of pushing kids prematurely down this path of gender transition and surgery. You know, pediatric uh, transition surgery and the dangers of that. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, of course, that this event, which was slated to be early November, was going to feature our own Chloe Cole that we had. If you remember, folks, we had her in this podcast. We had her to a rally out in Virginia Beach because she is really a great voice for kids that have been harmed by transition. And so um, this event was supposed to feature her and then the Palmetto family basically received a message from Eventbrite saying that it, it violated their policy on hateful, violent, and dangerous events. Now... I can't imagine how this event was going to be violent and hateful. Um, this is one person's story they were going to feature. It does kind of remind you of what happened at the Newport News School Board meeting where you have this activist trying to paint a whole group of people as a religious hate group. It's kind of like this hate word is used as a short circuit way to shut down speech. It seems to be the tactic now. Yeah, I think it's really concerning, especially when, and basically what they're saying is any detransitioner that tells their story is somehow hateful or bigoted or violent in this case if it violates their policy on violence. And we know that they're just telling how they've been harmed. So this is deeply concerning, but the, there is good news. And the good news is that our attorney general, Jason Miares, has signed on with 18 other attorneys general around the nation, and they are asking Eventbrite to clarify its policy. Um, because again, I feel like they just slap up, you know, whatever they don't like gets gets falls under this policy somehow, and they decide not to host the event. So the attorney general letter points out that Eventbrite ranks in the category of big tech. So this is a legal thing here and considers and considering it sold 84 million tickets within just nine month period last year so this is like a massive thing this is not going after a gnat this is trying to say you are a major player in this field um and have been a major player in this field with all sorts of events so they're saying look tens of millions of consumers rely on eventbrite mm -hmm. and so that's their way of distributing their event and getting their message out and so that's why as the letter points out it's so concerning that eventbrite has been, quote, routinely deplatforming events all over the world that espouse a view on gender different than its own, right? They're saying, you have this massive customer base, and you're literally saying, we don't agree with this, so we're not willing to allow these folks to, to have any, any perspective. So anyway, the letter goes on to say that rather than celebrating the marketplace of ideas and trust that the truth will prevail, Eventbrite appears poised to manipulate public opinion by silencing political dissidents. I'm tripping over my own words. But yeah, so it's a problem. Yeah, I, I'm encouraged to see that strong language Absolutely. from all of these attorneys general. And I think um, they point out a great point, which is the truth will prevail. And I honestly believe when you need to cancel other people's speech, you're worried that your message is not right. The concern is, though, when you have enough power that you can get away with that. And that's what's concerning about big tech or when you have a lot of political power or the money. And that's why we've got to stop. You know, we've got to keep pushing back against that so that we don't just wake up one day and find 
well, now we're powerless. Our voices have been shut out. I mean, this does get back to also just sharing the gospel. I think it's not just, you know, these social issues. Um, when you have massive groups of people being shut down um, or stigmatized, it does, I think, lead back to our most important mission, which is sharing the grace of God, which we know that's the next thing that gets shut down. Yeah, so. this is an important preventative measure on one particular issue, but we don't know what are the future things that are going to be shut down by these kind of tech companies. If they view an issue differently than we do, or if they view faith, to your point, right. the gospel differently than we do, are they gonna just start not allowing Christians to post events? Um, so with that said, I'm just gonna go ahead and wrap up. Um, thank you for joining us. For Speak Up Virginia, remember to share our playlist, the Speak Up Virginia playlist on YouTube. And don't forget if you're listening on, on our audio platforms like Apple and Spotify to give us that five-star review so we can get our what's going on in Virginia out to more people. Thank you. Remember, we are stronger when we speak together. <laughs>